the, uh, the sermon was titled, Where is Your Passion? And I hope something happened this week and you were able to determine that you need to put the passions of the flesh to death and allow the passion, and hopefully we acted with some passion as it relates to our relationship with God. Amen? Amen. So I just want to, you know, just a couple of key scriptures and then uh, we'll go into prayer. John chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where we were last week. And he said to those who sold doves, Take these things away. I do not make my father's house a house of merchandise. Then his disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house he has, has eaten me up. This, of course, was when Jesus went into the temple to clean it out. And he saw all of the merchants and the money changers in the court. And he, he was enraged. And, and they quoted, they remembered, they being his closest apostles, remembered then in the psalm, Psalm 69, that it said that he was the zeal for his father's house eat, had eaten him up. He was consumed by it. It moved him when he saw his house, his father's house, which represented the very presence of God. When he saw that being um, a house of merchandise, being taken lightly, the presence of God being taken so lightly, it ate him up. Is that the kind of passion that we have, both for the Father's house, but more importantly, the presence of God in our lives? Do we have that kind of zeal for the Lord? My brothers and sisters, in Galatians, we left with this um, quote out of Galatians 5, 24 and 25. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, by His Spirit, let us also walk by His Spirit. Amen? I hope that that message meant something to you last week and, and during your, your walk this week, uh, you were able to, tr- to, to live that out, that you were able to apply that. And, and how, how does it start? How would that start? By the passions of the flesh, by those earthly desires, the passion that we have in us, part of our old nature, that we start putting those to death. Recognize that that's, that's really not where God would have our focus, our attention, that we should be focused and attention on the things that are of God, motivated by his spirit, the spiritual things, amen? The things that have been revealed to us by His Spirit and the very presence in the relationship that we have with Him. Amen? amen. We're going to pray now and, and I just want you to take a look around you. Take a look. Everybody take a look around you. Come on. I mean it. Take a look around you. There's a lot of opportunities here for you to minister and witness. Not to those people that are here, but to the people that are not. It's up to you. It's up to you. If you're hearing from God here, if you, if you know that this is a worthwhile ministry, that this is a worthwhile assembly, and part of the reason why it would be worthwhile is not just what's in this pulpit. Part of the reason, part of the thing that makes this a worthwhile ministry is you. What you bring. What your heart is. Amen? This is an assembly of believers together. And it's not all about what you get when you come. It's about what you bring when you come. Amen? Amen? So you have a lot of opportunity. I hope that you will take the opportunity. Amen? Amen? Amen. Be passionate about the things of God. And it won't be hard. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you now thanking you for every opportunity that you gave us this past week. Father, I've already heard from some of your saints. Um, Father, how you've given them opportunity, how you ministered through them. And Father, I thank you for that. Father, I thank you for taking these these pots of clay, filling them with your spirit and allowing us to do something that's beyond us, using us to further your kingdom. 
Lord, some of us may have fallen short this week, and for that we're sorry. But we know, Lord, that you are a lovingly, a loving Heavenly Father. You are kind and merciful. And Father, as we bring our failures, our missteps before you now, we know that we're forgiven. And Father, that we have an opportunity now to pick up, um, Father, where exactly where you want us to be picked up. Father, to, 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 to have a new starting point here and now. Father, with the unction of your Holy Spirit, that we may go ahead and just be your witnesses. Father, to be a disciple and then to make disciples. Father, thank you for such an, such an honor, such a blessing. Lord, and also thank you for the opportunity and the blessing to come together as your children, Father, and to intercede one for another. So, Father, that's what we want to do right now. Father, there may be some among us here in this room who are suffering in our bodies physically. Father, we pray for any infirmity, any physical infirmity right now. Father, whether it be just so visible or maybe not so visible. Father, we just come against even those, those small things, the bacteria and the viruses and all those things that would tax our systems, Father. We come against those in the name of Jesus. And we pray by faith that you are Jehovah Rapha. You heal us. And we're, Father, standing on your word for our healing. But, Father, how about emotionally? Father, there are so many among us and then maybe who are not in this room right now, but who are close acquaintances to us, our loved ones, our friends, our family members, Father, who are suffering emotionally. Father, due to some hurts and scars from the past, and they just can't seem to get over it. Father, we lift them up to you. Church, right now, if the Lord is bringing somebody to your mind and to your heart, please lift them up right now. And it may be someone who has reviled you. It may be someone, there might be something right now in you, church, where you say, Lord, I don't want to pray for that person. Lift that person up right now in Jesus' name and bring some spiritual healing yourself. Lift that person up right now. I challenge you in the name of Jesus. Father, we lift them all up to you, Father. They've been, they've been hurting. Father, they're lost. Father, we pray right now that you would bring laborers to their paths. Father, that somehow, some way, they would recognize your love and they would receive it. And that you would change them even right now, beginning now. And Father, thank you for working on our own hearts. Father, that we, because of your love, can find forgiveness to forgive others. Thank you, Lord. Father, thank you for giving us a heart that is for all of the lost. Father, we pray for all of the lost. Father, we thank you for laborers. We thank you, Father, that you're sending laborers now throughout the world. Father, we pray that you would continue to do so, that you would send them. And Father, there may be some laborers in this room. In fact, we all should be laborers in one way or another. So Father, I pray that you would send us into whatever mission field you called us to. It could be in our own homes. It could be where we work. But Father, send us. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Father, you are good. We love you, Lord. Beg you for your presence here. Father, we beg you to be right in the middle of this word, this part of our service, Father. Reveal something to each and every one of us. Father, 
please deposit more of your truth in us. And Father, let it come with spiritual power that we may be able to realize it not only mentally, emotionally, you know, within our own spirit and soul, but Father, that we may realize it in the way we walk, that we would change and be more conformed to the image of Jesus because it's in his great name that I ask all these things. Amen and amen. Man, I just feel something here this morning, church. I just, God is so good. So now, coming, you know, we're all kind of going off the same platform. Where's your passion? Where's your passion? But let's move forward. I'm going to read to you. There's going to be some scripture this morning, so I want to warn you. So those of you who don't like scriptures, you know, to, eh, you're not going to like this message, but I love it. I so I don't care what you like, to be honest with you. <laughs> Revelation 3, verse 14. You'll have part of this on the board. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm and neither cold or hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed, and anoint your eyes with eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, as many as I love, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be what? Zealous. Be zealous. Be zealous and repent. Be zealous. Be zealous. Be zealous. We had the perfect model of that. Several. Remember last week, I, I took some out of the Old Testament even. But look at the one main that we have where we just read. That's why I, I gave you that from last week where Jesus went in and He had such a zeal for the presence of God. He had such a zeal uh, for, for God that He turned over the cha- changing tables. He even formed a whip and whipped them out of here, chased them out of the, court, chased them out of the temple. He had such a zeal. So now look at what it says here. Therefore, he's talking to who? The church. He's talking to the church. And he's saying, be zealous. Be zealous? Yeah, be zealous. Be serious. Take this seriously. Have this unction on the inside of you. And first thing you need to do is repent. Why? Because you thought you had something. You looked at your own wealth. You looked at everything that you had. You looked at the material blessings. And you thought, I don't need anything. No, you need God. Hallelujah! Don't look at what you have and think that I'm in need of nothing. I'm comfortable. Everything's okay. Comfortable. I'm comfortable. We're too comfortable. I'm in need of nothing. No! Be zealous for God. Be zealous for, to be in the presence of God. Have a, have a zealousness. Have a passion for God. So Repent. Hallelujah. I want you to notice something. It says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write. Who might that be? The angel of the church of the Laodiceans. Now, depending on whose, uh, you know, whose counsel you take or, you know, what, what you read or whatever, whose opinion you read, you know, some people say, well, there was, it was the guardian angel of the church. Uh, no. This is the leadership of the church. Why would, listen, why would John be instructed to write something down and then communicate it to an angel? 
This is Jesus talking directly to John. Take this letter to the angel of the church at Laodicea. It's the leadership of that church. He's talking to the lead. He makes sure that the leaders of the church get this message. And if you look at um, Matthew chapter 11, this is part of the reason why I believe this. So I'm, I'm telling you what, what I believe and I'm telling you why I believe it. Here's why I believe it. If you look at the word that's used there, the Greek word, and then you look in Matthew chapter 11, in Matthew chapter 11, when the uh, uh, disciples of John the Baptist, when John the Baptist was in prison, he sent some disciples, hey, ask Jesus, is he the one or should we look for another? And so, you know, they go to Jesus and Jesus gives them the answer. Hey, you know, the blind see, the, the lame are healed, and, and uh, the gospel is being preached to the poor. And so when they left, Jesus said he boasted about John. And he talked about the messenger of God being, you know, he, he spoke about what was prophesied of John, that he would be the messenger of God. And that same word messenger is the same word here that's being translated angel. So take this to the messengers. Take this to the leaders of the church. Take this to my mouthpiece in the church. I'm telling you why I'm, I'm, I'm saying I'm spending a little bit of time here. Because I want you to know something. I want you to know that it's our jobs. Leaders in the church. Leaders in the church have a responsibility to take the message of God to the church. Not their own message. Not their own word, but they have the responsibility to take the message of God to the church. That's their responsibility. To to be taken very seriously. Could you imagine that? Can you imagine being the pastor or an elder of that church of Laodicea and getting a message like that? You have to now go back to your church and say, listen, y'all. You're, you're, you're about to be vomited out of his mouth. You think that you're saved, but uh, he's saying that you're going to be vomited out of his mouth. Uh, that's pretty serious stuff. Well, I, I, I'd hate to be the guy that has to go back and carry that message. It, it might look a little bit like this. Conversely, we see what's happening in other things. Now, let's look at this verse. In Ephesians chapter 4, it's actually two verses. 11 and 12. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers for the pleasure of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Amen? Don't say amen. It's not true. Gotcha. It's not for the pleasure of the saints. I substituted a word there. Verse 12. For the entertaining of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. No. Verse 12. For the cobbling of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body. No? No. See, I'm having a little fun with you. But it's really not funny. But, but you understand. Or, or, is this tracking with you? Is this tracking with you? Look, at, he gave some to be um, prophets. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the entertaining, uh, for the pleasure, for the coddling. No, we know what it is. For the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Uh, could, yeah, there you go, baby. Look at, and I gave you some, look at equipping. Repair, adjust, complete, perfect. Edifying. Uh, this is edification. Like it speaks to a structure, an architecture, that you're building a structure, that there's structure to it, uh, to build a building or to build up. So now let's look at that in context. He gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. What's the purpose? 
for equipping the saints. Well, who are the saints? The believers. Anybody who believes in Jesus Christ. If you are truly, if you're born again, you are a saint. It's for equipping the saints for the work of ministry. It's not for, you know, pleasure. It's not for entertaining. It's not for babying or coddling. It's for equipping. Equipped for what? For the work of ministry. To do the things that God has called you to do. He's called all of us to a ministry of reconciliation. Amen? That's true. Whether you believe it or not, it's true. That's that we're all called to a ministry of reconciliation. Now, there may be some more specifics that he's called you to, and that's, up, that's between you and him. But, and also, for the edifying of the body of Christ. For the edifying, for the building. For the, for the, see, God is building his house. And it's, he has a plan for the house. It's not a haphazard thing. It's not made up as he goes along. He already sees it. He already knows what it looks like. He already knows the pieces that are involved. He already knows every bit of it. So there's a plan. And it's up to those of us who are in ministry, leaders in ministry, to go ahead and execute the plan. And we can only execute the plan by bringing the word. Well, don't shout me down. We can only execute we can only execute this plan. We can only build you up or we can only listen, we can only equip you to do those things that raise up his body that build his church. We can only do that by bringing you the word. Go ahead and put that next one up. But here's the problem. I think more and more churches in our modern era have become more like pep rallies rather than prep rallies. We should be preparing you for the work of the ministry. The leaders of your churches, whether you're here now and you're going to stay or whether you come and go, whatever it is, the leader of whatever church that you go to and the leadership, the body of leadership, their focus and attention must be on making sure that you all are prepared, you're equipped for the work of ministry, for building up the body. That's what this is all about. Amen? But I think it's become more about pep rallies. Church has become more like a pep rally, make you feel good, than it, has, you know, than it actually is preparation, a prep rally. 1 Timothy 6.12, the first part of it says this, Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Man, you, do you like that language? I mean, you, if, you, if you look at that language, just look at that language in and of itself. Fight the good fight of faith. Fight the good fight of faith. Listen, there's something, lay hold on eternal life. Lay hold on it. When I read this, 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 this describes a little something to me. There's got to be a little bit of passion. There's got to be a little zest and zeal. There's got to be a little something, zis boom ba to this. You all are making me work pretty hard this morning, just telling you. Late night last night, maybe. Hey, do you, are you getting that? Show me a little zest in here this morning. Show me a little passion in here. Show me a little zeal in here this morning, all right? Listen, this is, this is good stuff, because when I read this, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking passion. Well, maybe because I'm Italian. Maybe that's why. Not all of you in here are Italian. And so maybe, no, some, the Italians in the room, you got no excuse. Come on, Christina, help a brother out over here. No, but think about that. I, I see some passion in this. I see some zest. I see some zeal. When the, when the Scripture is telling me to fight the good fight of faith, when it's telling me to lay hold on eternal life, 
I'm going to hang on to it. Why? The devil wants to shake it loose from me. Come on, come on. The devil wants to shake it loose. He's going to do everything he can. He has no power unless I give it to him. The only power he has is to distract me and to get my passions and my zest and my zeal for other things. If I have zest, zeal, passion for other things, I can't have the zest, the zeal, the passion that I have for the things of God. And then all of a sudden, I find myself not holding on to that salvation quite as tight. Not because God is looking to jerk it out from me. That's not it at all. He's doing everything he can to make sure that I'm living in Christ Jesus. He's trying to hang on to me. Are you with me? Let's look at the next one, Ephesians 6.12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. You see this fight and wrestle. Fight and wrestle. Is this tracking with you? Unless you don't know it, you're in a fight. You are in a fight. And if you don't feel like you are, amen, then maybe you've just already lost. Maybe you've already given up. You're in a fight. You're in a fight. Jude 3 and 4. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about your common or our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to all the saints. For certain people have crept in untold who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people who pervert the who pervert listen who pervert the grace of God. What does that mean? They're they're talking about the grace of God and where it has no context whatsoever. They're taking the grace of God totally out of context. They're perverting the grace of God. I, I, are you feeling me this morning? This has got me, man. Come on. Help me out. Oh, would you? They've perverted the grace of God into sensuality. Into sensuality. It's about how I feel. It's about my earthly passions. They've made it about earthly passions. Do you see this? Hallelujah. And they deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. How they deny Him? By their actions. By their activities. Oh, they may say Jesus is Lord. They love me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. Isn't that scriptural? Somebody help me out here. Come on, the Italians in here ought to be helping me out. Come on. Hallelujah. Then again, Timothy. Now remember, you see, I preached the message not too long ago. Remember that silly, stinking outfit I wore? I try to do a one-handed push-up. Do you remember that? Contend for the faith. We're in a fight. Don't you know you're in a fight? Now, some of you, you understand you're in a fight. And you fight with your spouse all the time. It's not that kind of fight. It's not. We shouldn't be fighting with each other. We should be fighting for each other. We shouldn't be against each other. We should be, we should be bad. If you're having a problem with your spouse, with a relationship, if you're having a problem, don't fight with the person. Fight for the person. Easy to say, Tony. Hard to do. You know why? You can't do it because you're about your passion and not the passion of God. Get about the passion of God. Your passion should be toward the things of God. And guess what will happen? When, when that relationship is awry or you're having problems, you get down on your knees and you pray for that person. And you pray for yourself. What do you say? Self, Lord, 
please help me see them exactly how you see them because I know you died for them. In this minute, I want to kill them myself. I don't want to hug their neck. I want to choke their neck. But Lord, you can change me. Hey, I'm just, I'm being real. And that's how you need to be. You need to be real with God. Don't hold back. Be real with God. If you know, if you want to choke their neck, He already knows you want to. You don't have to say it. He already knows it. But you need to say it so that you're confessing before Him about your own earthly passion and He can help you to put it to death. Hallelujah! 1 Timothy 3. These things, 14, these things I write to you, though I hope to come to you shortly, but if I am delayed, I write so that you may know how you ought to conduct yourself in the house of God. Listen, here it is which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The pillar and ground of the truth. I can't always tell you words that will bring you entertainment. I can't always tell you the words in a way that would bring you entertainment. I can't always coddle you. I can't always bring you the bottle. But sometimes I just got to give you something that you need to chew on. And if you don't choose to chew on it, that's your fault. But i got to tell you the truth because the church is the pillar and ground for the truth. It's the truth that makes you free. If I tell you what you want to hear or if any minister tells you what you want to hear is not willing to give you the hard stuff, they're keeping you in bondage. You will never get free. Let me give you an example. To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days which Antipas was uh, my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you because you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel to eat things sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, you, you see what he's saying here? He's saying, okay, take this to the pastors of the church at Pergamos. Yet, they, you've not denied my name, and you stood up even under the penalty of death. However, Here's what you've done. You've allowed these false doctrines to get into your church. You've allowed these... See, I'm not going to explain to you Balaam, Balak. You know. Let's just say, suffice it to say, you've allowed these false doctrines to get into your church. You've watered down the darn gospel and you're allowing other things to, sa- to, to, to take the place of true salvation. True life in Christ Jesus. You've, you've done other things to try and attain this... Su- and it's just false doctrine. It's garbage. So you better go ahead and repent quickly or I'm going to come and I'm going to use my word and there's going to be some people missing. Come on now. Come on now. The church is the pillar and ground of the truth. I don't want to be anywhere. I don't want to hear anybody that speaks to me in platitudes who will not tell me the truth. Listen, I may not like it. I'll get my toe stepped on but that's the only thing that will set me free. Only thing. I'm going to give you a silly example. 
All right? I love my wife enough so that if she has schmutz on her face and she's out in public, I'm going to tell her about the schmutz on her face or I'm going to lean over and I'm going to wipe it. I know this is my, might be a silly... But see, if, if I don't tell her, she's going to go on and she doesn't know she has schmutz on her face. Now, at home, if we're by ourselves, I may leave it there and be amused for a little while. But I don't want her embarrassed in public. I love her. I don't want her embarrassed. I don't want her hurt feelings later on when she finally looks in the mirror. She goes, I was there all along. How come you didn't tell me? Boom. No. Do you understand what I mean? I want, to, I want her... I, see, I know that's a silly thing. But, but my brothers and sisters, and, and, and what we're talking here is not necessarily that silly. We're talking life and death. See, I, we, we need to know what the truth is so that we could be free. And listen, here's the other thing. How about those of us who may, we need, if we really want the blessing of God, we want to, do, I, 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 help me, Lord. Help me say this the way you want me to say it. In Jesus' name. I'm so fed up with people who will come to me and tell me about how they're praying. And that, yeah, I'm believing God, I'm trusting God. They don't live like they believe in God. But yet they're going to go ahead and ask and beg God for things and they don't even care about God in any other way. And so it's, it's, sometimes it's all that I have. And sometimes I just flat out tell them, are your prayers getting to God? Do you think that God is actually hearing you? Or, and then and ask the question, what makes you think that God... Well, I hope. I hope. That's, that's the standard answer I get. I hope. I mean, my brothers and sisters, don't you want to know? Don't you want to know? Listen, how many of us are, are, are married people? When you t- want to have a serious talk with your spouse, and you sit down, or you're standing, whatever the case may be, whatever your comfortable position is, or uncomfortable as it were, and you, and you have, don't you want to know that they're listening, when you have something serious to discuss with your spouse and you sit there and you sit across from them and you know that you know that their eyes are on you and they're hearing every word that's being uttered. Their attention is on you. Isn't that an awesome thing? See, that's the way it is with God. If you are in a relationship with God, I'm not saying that you have to be perfect. I'm saying... You're in a relationship with God. You're, you're doing your best to meet the mark. You're walking the, the best way you can. You're, you're doing everything you can. You're reading. You're praying. You're spending time with God. You're in a relationship. All those things that would constitute relationship. Spending time. And then you can know that you know that you know. That when you're speaking to Him, when you're praying, you don't have to, I hope so. I hope He's listening. God, do I got your attention? You don't have to. Be, you don't, no, no. Listen. His eyes are on the righteous. His ear is open to the righteous. Is that scriptural? Help me out, John. Isn't that scriptural? That is scriptural. So, if I'm in Christ, I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. So, if I'm in Christ, I don't have to hope. I know. He's hearing me when I pray. So, listen. I need to tell the truth so that those folks who really need to get a hold of God, they can get a hold of them. You really want a blessing of God. You really want to hear from God. You really want God's blessing on your life. You want to know that when you're getting down on your knees and you're praying for your kids, God is hearing. Is there anybody else in this room that feels that way besides me? Yes, I want to know. So in order for that to happen, we've got to know what the truth is. And we have to have passion toward God, not passion for, for the world. Amen? So listen, part of that is there cannot be this false doctrine 
in the church. And notice one of the things that was mentioned, uh, let's see, sacrifice to idols and to commit sexual immorality. I'm not the only one that knows this. I'm not the only church leader that knows this, but there's a severe problem with sexual immorality in the church. There's so many people that uh, cheat and, and commit adultery and do all these other things, marriage out of, you know, sex out of wedlock and going to churches and think everything is okay. Well, well, it's not. I'm just saying. And isn't that something how when you have false doctrine in the church, how it could be, you know, that could become a prevalent issue? Why? Because that's an inward passion. That's something that's part of our old nature. God created us with passion for the opposite sex so that we could procreate. My brothers and sisters, and it's not just for procreation, it's for an intimate relationship between a husband and wife. One man, one woman, regardless of what the new doctrine and theologies of these different churches and different teachings and seminaries are teaching, no. One man, one woman, God defined it, I didn't. If you have a problem, take it up with him. Amen? Alright, so one man, one woman, God designed that, that we would have that kind of passion for each other. Amen? But see, isn't it amazing though? When you start taking the truth out of the church, those animal desires, those, those earthly desires, those instinctive desires raise their ugly head. So now let's go to the next one. Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. And unto the church of Thyatira write, These things says the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet like fine brass. I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. Do you, do you hear what he just said? Man, look at these good things, and you're, you're working even, you're, you're performing greater works than you did in the beginning. Did you hear that? Man, this is the church I want to be part of. Wait a minute. Let's, let's read on. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you, because you allow that, women, that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess, to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. And you know, I want you to know something. When he says my servants, he's talking about the born-again Christians. And I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sickbed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Unless they repent of their deeds. I will kill her children with death and, I will all, and all the churches shall know that I am He who searches the minds and the hearts and I will give to each one of you according to your works. What happened to grace? Well, it depends on which grace you're talking about. If you're talking about the grace in the modern contemporary church here in America, nothing. This, this doesn't really apply to you. But if you're talking about God's grace, He gives you the power to live above those things. He gives you the power to understand what He's asking you and me. And then to go ahead and do it. But it's still always our choice. He doesn't overpower us. He just gives us the power. Amen? That's just like my God and your God who loves us, who didn't want to take us and make us His robots, who, who poured out His love for us and, and showed us His love and taught us how to love and wants us just to be in this loving relationship and do the things that, that, that please Him because we love Him and that He can continue to bless us because He loves us. And so we're in this mutual loving relationship with the, the Creator of everything you could see and the things you can't see. This very being, this almighty being, that's an awesome, awesome thing, folks. Awesome. 
I know that in this day and age, it doesn't seem as awesome, especially to the, the generations that came up behind us because, you know, we started looking like everybody else. So what's the difference? But my brothers and sisters here, we need to just keep going. The pillar in the ground of the truth. There's the, there's the pillar in the ground of the truth. There's the false doctrines and theologies. The pep rallies. When I was thinking of this, when I was meditating over this, I really didn't know. If I, as of yesterday, my, Michael called me, and I was telling him, I mean, I don't know. I thought all week I was going to be here but now the Lord is scrambling my eggs just a little. I don't know. I'm being scrambled. But as I was you know, really meditating on this, the Lord brought to my memory, and I just relate to things because I was always brought up around sports and sports-minded. My father, his brothers, the whole nine yards, as many of us were and are. Um, I just remember playing um, high school football, and that was just a, I had a passion for it. That's, that's really what kept me in school. I just, if it wasn't for the wrestling and the football, I probably would have quit school or something, did something stupid. But, but the thing about it was I really loved it. And I was small, and thank God for me, I lived in a small town. There was only 1,000 kids in the school, so it made it easier to make the team. But I had something on the inside of me for a small guy. I grew up, I had an attitude, so I was able to, you know. And my father was a bodybuilder, and he taught me how to lift weights and all that other stuff. So I, I was able to, you know, play a little bit bigger. Um, anyway, having said that, my freshman year was the first year that this new coach was coming on. Before that, the team stunk. And so they had this new coach come in. I'll never forget him. His name was Jeff Hill. I, I love the guy. He was just a really good guy, kind heart, but just, a, you know, kind of tough. And uh, my freshman year, we didn't do very well as, you know, the varsity team. And I just know then the second year, things started getting better. You know, by the time the third year came around, we were winning. And then my senior year, we were winning. We, we were co-champions one year and all this other stuff. It, we, we, we had a good team. But <clears throat> here's what I remember what he instilled is you have to be prepared. You know, we're going to practice hard. And, and he knew coming in, and I'm, I'm guessing that he shared with those who were above him, maybe the athletic director, that it's going to take a little time because he was going to have to change the culture. You know, he, we were kids, don't get me wrong, he, didn't, he wasn't like a drill sergeant where, you know, uh, you know, he treated us like young men, but it wasn't so that he just uh, put us through torture tests and stuff like this. But I just remember the second year I went out, he sent a letter to all the, upper, all the, cl- all the class, uh, classes starting from the sophomore to the senior class. Here's what's expected of you. You're going to report for the summer workouts on such and such a date. Prior to the summer workouts, here's what you're not going to do. You're not going to drink any alcohol. You're going to eat right. You're not going to have any relationship with any of your girlfriends. You're, not, you're, 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 you're just going to, you're going to start living a stricter life. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm telling you, brother, when I read that, I'm a kid. I'm thinking, what is he, crazy? And then you go to summer workouts, and you could see the ones who took that seriously and the ones who didn't. Because the first thing they did when you went there, they timed you in the 40. So you had to, and you had to run fast, and then they, made, they timed you in a mile. Now, I'm saying I didn't work out during the summer except lift weights. I didn't do any cardio. I didn't run. I didn't do anything. I was just lifting weights. So, man, I, when I ran that 40, I didn't run my fastest speed, and I'm trying to play running back here, so that was pretty rough on me. And then I'm running the mile, and I'm running for time, and I've got to tell you, I made it, but I didn't make a good time, and I'll tell you the truth. I think our track, you had to run four and a half times. Man, by the, by the third time, I'm looking to puke. I mean, I'm telling you, it was not good. I wasn't prepared. 
But there was another, a handful of guys, the older guys mostly, that understood. And the older guys were prepared, and they were running the best times. They, man, uh, there was one guy, I'll never forget him. We called him Ice. His name was Ice. He ran that mile, and then not only did he run the mile, but he had a friend who was Vinny, a big lineman, and Vinny was not in shape. But Vinny is literally coming up. After he already run his mile, he went back, and he's running backwards trying to encourage Vinny. That was, I mean, I looked at him and I'm in awe. Look at this guy. He just finished running a mile fastest on the team and now he's basically jogging backwards trying to encourage his friend, the lineman, to finish this mile. That is awesome. What an awesome picture. He was prepared. He took the words of the coach very seriously and he was prepared. And not only was he prepared enough to go ahead and finish the race himself, but he helped the lineman. And I want to... God is so good. Because you know what? I had another example I was going to give you. God just reminded me of that right here, right now. That was so awesome. That was so awesome. And I just remember always being encouraged. Be prepared. Be ready. We saw film and he showed... And it was, it was, it was neat. He showed us our mistakes. I, sometimes I hated going into the film room. Because it was there for everybody to see. And sometimes he'd point it out. Sometimes he would be kind and not point it out. But whenever he said, Tony, uh-oh. Yeah, you missed this, you know, blah, blah, blah. You're supposed to duck inside, catch the linebacker, come this. Okay, yes, coach. Sorry. But then there was those other times. Tony, yeah, great play. Whew. Thank you, Lord. But it was never Tony... You stink on ice. Tony, listen, inside, not outside. Right? And, and, and you talk, be prepared. Go after it. And then when I messed up, he, was, he, was, he, he, was, he cared enough about what was going on to tell me where I messed up. And it made me a better football player. It made, I wanted to play football for that guy. I wanted to do a good job for him. And, and then even for my teammates, I wanted to do a good job for my... I remember uh, my senior year, I was playing halfback and, and we were in a game and uh, the fullback was a junior. I'll never forget him. His name was Bobby Schreiner. What an incredible athlete. This young man was... He was good at just about everything and even a good student. But he just had a loving, kind heart. He wasn't... You know, he was like so popular in the school, but he was so just... Uh, Humble. I, I just can't. He was just such a good guy. And I remember um, it was one of those games, and, and uh, the, we were probably four yards out from the goal line, and the, he was getting the ball. It was full. He was a fullback. I was a halfback. I was a tailback. And this, in this particular play, I have to lead him through the hole. And I just remember, <laughs> I, I don't want to screw this up. The coach would kill me. I don't want to screw this up. It's called to him. I got to lead him through the hole. And, the, and, and listen, the coach, he knew this was going to be a good play. When you go through, look for the linebacker coming from your right, from, coming from the inside. Okay. So that was the plan. That was the word he gave me. And I was prepared. We practiced that play during the week. So the play, the ball is hiked. Sure enough, the lineman had the hole there. Sure enough, when I went through that hole, there was the linebacker on my right shoulder. I just ran as hard as him as I could and just brought him down. And I'm laying on top of him. And then there's the fullback, Bobby, behind me, laying on top of me. And before we could even get up, Bobby's hollering in my ear, great block tone, great block tone, great block tone. 
Do you know how good that felt? And it all was because I was prepared. Bob was prepared. He knew to follow me. I knew the linebacker would be on my right shoulder. And sure enough, just like the coach said, there it was. I was prepared. But you know what also? We had pep rallies in high school. Anybody ever go through high school sports in here besides me? Yeah, we had the pep rallies. Remember the pep rallies? You know, those Fridays, I got to wear my varsity jersey to school, and, you know, everybody you think you're a big deal and all this other stuff. You know, big deal. You know, I remember my first varsity game. I went in there, and I had my, man, I thought I was somebody. And you get the varsity players get introduced. I came from a sophomore. I was a junior. And I, I get in there, and, man, it was awesome. And I'm thinking, wow, this is fantastic. Everybody's making a fuss over you. This is great. The music, the cheerleaders, the lights, everything's fun. Signs. They used to decorate my house the night before the game. You know, the cheerleaders would come in the wee hours. My mother got a kick out of it. I think she saved some of the signs. She's wacko. But anyway, man, it's just all this fuss and all this other stuff. And then my first varsity game, when I got in there, I'm all excited. You know, this is great and all this. A little nervous, but a little excited. Boy, when I got pounded the first time, Reality. Instant reality. Instant reality. Why? That pep rally didn't prepare me for the game. That pep rally got me all hyped up. And I was really good. But guess what? When all the hype is gone, when all the cheerleaders are gone, there's no signs on your house, it's just you and the enemy of your soul, what are you going to do? You better be prepared. You better be prepared. I'm going to tell you one more story, guys. I'm just full of them this morning. Listen. Does anybody remember the fight between um, Michael Spinks and Mike Tyson? I remember because I was one of the guys that paid to see it. It was pay-per-view. We all chipped in and we went over to my friend Greg Stevens' house. We were living in Carolina then. And we went there and that fight lasted what? A round, round and a half, something like that? I'm going to tell you something. I don't think Michael Spinks was prepared. You know how I know that? When he got in that ring and Mike Tyson hit with a shot and he blocked it with his arm, you could see his countenance drop. It was almost like, "Uh uh-oh, this guy hits hard. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't matter, man. It doesn't matter. Remember the Rocky movie? Remember the first one when his trainer is there, he's getting prepared for the fight? You know, you're the greatest. Everybody loves you. Men love you. Women love you. Children love you. Everybody loves you. Everybody loves you. But then when you get into the fight, you better be ready for the fight. Right. Are you, is, anybody, is this tracking with anybody today? We need to be ready for the fight. The hype is... We don't need prep rallies in churches. You don't need to be hyped up. Oh, everything's great. Everything's good. God, you're victorious. No, listen. Hang on. Sometimes, you know what? When you're in the middle of it, and you wish you can get to church and hear that band and have the smoke and the lights. Man, you can't. What are you going to do when you're out there and you can't get back there? Know what you got to do? You've got to hang on. Hang on. Hang on. Because you know that you know that you know. God will never leave you. He'll never forsake you. And you may have to suffer through some stuff. But you're never on your own. Hallelujah. God said this was going to happen to me, so I know that I'm not lost. God said this was going to happen to me, so I'm not worried about Him abandoning me. It ain't going to happen. Why? He told me I was going to have some tough days. In this world, you're going to have trouble, but that's okay, because I've overcome the world. And you're in me, you overcome this. This thing may look like it's got you right now, but it ain't got you. You got it. See, now right there, that, that saying right there, that could be just a platitude. But I've read the book, you see. And I know that's exactly what he says. 
So it's not based on what I said or how I said it. It's a truth. And if you can get that truth down on the inside of you, then you can live it. Then you can live it. Man, that's awesome stuff. Matthew 16, 17, and 18. Jesus answered and said to them, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Now we know when this was, right? Who do, who do they say that? Who do the people say that I am? Well, some say you're Isaiah, some say you're John the Baptist, some say you're this reincarnated, that. <clears throat> who do you say that I am? Peter was the one that spoke up. I say you're the Christ, the Son of the living God, remember? And we know Jesus' response to that was, listen, you, did, that you got a word from the Father. My Father in heaven revealed this to you. You got a word, a direct word, because there's something there. There's, there's a tie. There's a connection between you and God the Father right now. That word came from the Father. You just received a deep truth from the Father. You know something, Peter. You know something. And what you know, that's exactly what I'm going to build my church on. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. See, now, look, look, look. You've got to know that when that word comes to you, when it's truth, when it's truth and you can believe in it, you can rely on it, and you rely on it, and you believe in it, nothing that you're up against will ever defeat you. Nothing. I remember... I wrestled in high school, and there was this kid. It was his first year on the varsity team. I think he was a sophomore or junior. I can't remember. Anyway, first he was cutting so much weight, he didn't even care about the wrestling matches. He just wanted to get it over where he could eat. And he was wrestling. And the first varsity wrestling match, you go to the weigh-in. When you go to the weigh-in, you're wearing hardly anything, especially the guys that are cutting weight. They're stripping down to nothing because they don't want an ounce. They barely are making weight. And so they're stripped down on the scales and all that. And... This man is a little nervous. It's his first varsity wrestling match. Steps on the scale, nervously steps back. Then his opponent steps on the scale. That's how they do it, by weight class. And they announce the names. They put it in their programs. And when this man got off the scales, the other guy got on the scale. Looked like he wasn't cutting weight. He was solid. He was a V. And you could just see the look on the young man's face. He was, ooh-ooh. Not only was this man stacked and built, but he was the captain of the team. And so this young man, his first varsity wrestling match ever, said, oh man, not only am I cutting weight, haven't eaten for 10 days, now I've got to wrestle the captain of the team, my first varsity match ever. You could just see it. So it happens. The match starts, and they're wrestling, and the whole nine yards. There were, a couple, there were maybe a takedown or two, as I remember, but there was a couple of escapes. The strong guy, the captain of the team, could not hold this person down. So even if he took him down, the young guy got out. The, the underclassman got out. He always escaped. Couldn't do a lot after that because the guy was so strong and you know, just, just held his own. But whenever something happened, he was able to escape. So it's in a, the last period, I believe, and the young man's nose is bleeding. He's beat up. He's got his nose bleeding. And so the refs call a time, and so he goes. And the coach, you can see the coach is just telling him, hang on. Here's what we're going to do. He can't hold you down. So, when that whistle blows, you get out. You stand up. I know you're going to stand up. I know you're going to escape. And you're going to end up tying this match. And you're going to help this team win. 
Because when you tie this match, that's not what they expected. When you hold your own and you stand up, that's not what they expected. So sure enough, he went back in there, did what the coach said, stood up. The match ended in a tie. So each point goes to a team. And that totally brought that team down. His team won the match because their captain, the one that, I forgot to tell you this, when that guy got on the scale when they were doing the weigh-in, the coach of that team gets to announce his wrestler. And he said, this is so-and-so. All boastful and proud. But that little underclassman tied him. And it totally took the air out of their balloon. Here's what I'm asking you today. Do we want to be involved in pep rallies? Will pep rallies give us the zis boom ba that we need to stand up when they're not expecting you to stand up? I need, I need a prep rally. I want you to be prepared. Because life is going to try to knock you down. The enemy of your soul, once you're a born-again Christian, it don't get easier. It gets tougher. You've got a target on you now. Especially in this culture that we're living in now. You have a target on you. And I'm here to remind you today, be prepared. Be prepared. Read, pray, hear the truth. You're going to get your toes stepped on. I'll share another scripture. We're going to go. I, I got another scripture I want to share with you, but I'll save that for next week. When you come in here and you hear something you don't want to hear, or if you're hearing, man, I can't wait till this is over, that's the time for you to get on the edge of your seat and lean in. That's the time for you to, okay, this is bothering me, so I might need to hear this. I can't wait for this to be over, so I might need to hear this. Lean in. Amen? Preparation. We need to be prepared. Amen? Amen. That's all. Stand with me, please.